Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today we are speaking with Greg Birch. He is the president of Delta Financial. Greg is here to share an unbelievable personal story with you. And I do want to be respectful and say that there are some trigger warnings as Greg openly shares his past story from struggling, coming from the military, struggling with PTSD, depression, and suicidal ideations. He battled through that while starting the business as an entrepreneur in life insurance. Through daily discipline habits, he was able to overcome depression, is no longer medicated, and is succeeding in sales by breaking records within the industry. Greg is an avid, and I mean avid, fitness enthusiast and spends most of his time building his business, Delta Financial, as well as helping sales agents across the country, as well as openly sharing his story, how he battled everything that he did to get to where he is today, how it's built his discipline, honed his warrior mindset to create lasting change in his life. This is an absolutely incredibly inspiring episode that is going to hit home for a lot of people. And I, you know me, I love seeing more and more men stand in this space and share their story. So I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Welcome to the show today, Greg. I am thrilled to have the roles reversed and have you on my show today. I'm, I'm thrilled also. This is going to be fun. Okay. So we connected a few months ago and had a great conversation. And as always, I am fascinated by people's stories and what they've walked through. And so I saw a couple of your shares online and I was like, oh, we definitely wanted to have you here to connect. So if you don't mind just starting with a little bit about who you are and what you're doing today. Oh yeah, that definitely. So um, my name is Greg Birch. I am uh, an entrepreneur um, a, a prior army officer, I served for 11 years, um, deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan, got out in 2017, started as an entrepreneur in 1099 and in, in sales as an insurance agent and in life insurance. And so uh, I did it initially just thinking like, ah, I'm just going to do this as the part-time and until I find something I'm really passionate about, but I became passionate, <laughs> passionate about helping families and really helping agents to find success. Cause it's, it's an industry that has a very high percentage of failure. Very high. It's 92% of people that start in the insurance industry do not make it. 8% make some kind of some modicum of success. And so why do you think that is? That's fascinating. Why do you think that is it is fascinating? Um I think there's a lot of factors. I yeah. think that one, it's it's you it's an entrepreneurial space. 
and not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. Um, however, however, you can set up structures and systems to make it very basic to where people could sell enough to survive or to like make a good enough money that they would be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's almost automated. Like, Hey, I get this many leads. I make this many dials. I have this many sales appointments and I make this much each month and I'm comfortable and I spend the rest of the time with my family. So the problem I think that I've seen in the industry since I've been in is that there's a, a massive lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the people in the industry, no, I don't know anybody that's got an insurance that was like thinking like, I want to be an insurance salesman. Like they, they like, they, they desired that. And so you have a lot of people that got into it out of happenstance that needed to because they needed extra money and the potential for income was so great. And they don't have a lot of experience because they were down on their luck or they didn't have that leadership experience previously. And all they know is starting from the ground and going up in terms of sales. Mm -hmm. And most of these companies don't have any professional leadership like academies or or structures to develop you into that next level. Cause what got you here is not going to get you there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I saw, I, I see it as there's a difference between a manager and a leader and a manager focuses on performance and leadership leaders focus on potential. And so as a manager, they're looking at, Hey, what's your sales numbers? What are your, how many dials did you make? How many leads did you buy? How many appointments did you set? How many appointments did you set? They're like numbers, right? Facts, the data. That's what managers handle. Leaders are there to bring you, to pull you to the next level. It's more of an art of, mm-hmm. and it starts with yourself. And so the industry is really focused on managership and not leadership. Wow. There's a lot of similarities just in what you described there in so many areas of like coaching, of support. Like I could just see it mm-hmm. where it's, you know, many people will coach others, but it's like telling the client what to do and giving them like the steps. You post this many times, you do this, you do this, you get in the DMs. The guys still get approached. It blows me away. I do not know who's giving them advice to do this, but I get messages in the DMs and I'm like, who, who is asking you to do that? Cause that is not, it doesn't work. But I think they're also being led that, well, you need to do more of it then. Like you need to do more of that cold DM messaging. There's no connection there. Whereas there's so much more about when you build a relationship and like that's where I see that leading into this leadership piece that you can you know, to me, some of the most successful coaches, they help clients to see what is in them, to see what those things are that are blocking them, what those, it's not telling them what to do. It's helping them find what their strengths are. Exactly. And and there's, and there's an art to it, right? There's no, there's no direct path. It's really difficult for you to look at it. Let's say you were training another coach to do what you did. Yeah. It's real difficult to be like, oh, all you got to do is ask this question, this question, this question. They're going to give this and that's all you do, right? It doesn't work that way. There's no scientific approach. In the military, we called it MET-TP, which is Mission, Enemy, Troops, Terrain, Time, and Population. And what that meant was it depended on all those factors. And that was that was our military way of saying it depends, right? So it it depends on the situation it depends on the client it depends on how they respond it depends on on their their specific situation and circumstances it depends on the relationship you develop so far like there's so many factors there that 
I can't give another coach a cookie cutter, nor could you a cookie cutter approach because there's an art to it. Now I can tell you, here's my method, right? Here's my method and how I connect with people and, and what I do in order to connect with people to understand them so that I can, so that I can position myself to a, a, a place where I can help them better. Right. And, 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 but that's, that's, like I said, it's an art and it's like, like, I don't always do the same thing. A lot of his intuition, just based off of experience of having these conversations over and over and over again, that in, in the conversation, I'm like, Oh, this reminds me of this time with this person. I know exactly what I need to do to help them. Kind of like having a tool and a toolbox that I've already used so many times. And then, and, and that's, and that's a good, that's a good, Similarly to, to leadership, right? And, um, you know, that was a, one of the first leadership lessons I got as a very, very young, I wasn't even an officer yet. I was in training as a cadet. I was about to graduate and get my commission. And I had this, uh, this, this, uh, evaluated uh, exercise where I was the platoon leader and it was all these other cadets were all the same rank, all same grade. We're all about to graduate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had to lead them do a mission out in the, out in the field. And we got, we got attacked. It was a react to contact. We got, we got attacked <laughs> and, and I ended up just like, and when you have certain, depending on type, type of contact you have, you have battle drills that you execute in order to react to that contact so that you can break contact, reevaluate, reassess, and then reengage. And so I just reacted quickly whenever we got attacked and I, jumped forward and led from the front and so this the, the officer that was evaluating me was a major and he was like dude you need to go combat arms like you're you're and he was like you need to go armor because he was an armor officer and i ended up going armor <laughs> so you're like you need to go armor because it's like infantry without the suck and he was like you know you took charge you just led you you acted you you reacted appropriately mm-hmm. and and that's what leadership's like. He's like, so he's like, I can tell the kind of person you are now is by seeing the way you interact with people is you are used to using the hammer. You're very direct. You're very like five finger point. This is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, X, Y, Z, let's go. And he said, you have to realize that that tool will not work with every person. And you have to start understanding people because some people you're going to need needle nose pliers. Some people you'll need a cross tip screwdriver. He was like, and and the more you deal with people, the more you'll understand what tool type they are. And the more you use that tool, the more you'll be able to reference previous times you use that tool. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, this is a cross tip screwdriver, and you'll know exactly what to do. He's like, and that's what leadership's like is like having this toolkit with all these different leadership styles or personality styles that you're doing. You're very much like almost a chameleon that you have to address certain people certain ways. He's like, if you were to come to somebody that is very self sufficient, that is uh, very resourceful mm-hmm. and, and a go getter, and all you need to do is just say like, here's the job that needs to get done. And you left it at that. And they operate best off of that. But if you come in and you're trying to go too much in the nitty gritty of how to do it, they're going to feel micromanaged. And then they're going to, they're going to end up resenting that over time. Wow. 
That's, right? Yeah. That's really, I love the analogy of all the different, I could just picture the different tools because, you know, when you've got a person who I prefer direct, I prefer direct and like, what, are, what, are, what are my next steps or what am I not seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to hand holding, but that's just me. And the reaction some people might hear and think like your mentor or coach said, what? And I'm like, Oh, no, that's exactly what I needed. Like that's for me, that works. But that approach won't work for everyone because that's just not, that's, we are all made very differently. So as you went through, how, how many years were you in the military? 11. 11. Okay. So 11 years in the military. And out of those, were they majority in leadership? Like were they majority in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did you learn about yourself during that time? Oh man, <laughs> so much, so much leadership. You know, it took me a while to realize this. Mm-hmm. It took me a while. Um, and I'm talking, I'd say the first six or seven years I messed this up is that leadership is all about yourself. Leadership is all about the first level of leadership is leading yourself appropriately first, period. And you, if you can't lead yourself, you're not going to lead others. And if you're not leading yourself to take yourself to, to pull out your own potential, Mm-hmm. So that you can go to the next level, you know, and honestly rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 and say, Hey, how, how do I, how did I operate today? How did I operate this week? How did I operate this past month? Right. And actually sit down and do an evaluation of your performance within your business or your, whatever you're evaluating. It could be like your relationship, which honestly, I think that that's something that people don't do very often is evaluate how they're doing with their relationship and how they're actually taking the relationship to the next level with the partner that they chose to be with in life. And so when you evaluate yourself and you say out of one to 10 with 10 being spectacular, there's not one thing I could have done better, right? I was perfect. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a 10. No, you're not a 10. I promise you're you. Not a 10. You're not a 10. You're not a 10. And if you think you're a 10, that means you're probably so far on the opposite end of the scale because you're really, you're really underestimating. The people that are like, ah, I think I'm a six, they're probably closer to like an eight or nine. Yeah. Because those are the people that are actually trying to be really hard on themselves because they're perfectionists or they want to get better. And they're, they're really thinking outside the box of how they can improve. So look at yourself and how your performance is. And, and let's say that you're a seven. Okay. That means that you are not going to be able to lead anybody that's a seven or higher. Yeah. Because if they're a seven, they don't need you. Mm-hmm. They're at the same level as you. If they're an eight, you can't lead them. They're beyond you. Right. So a lot of times, in business or even as a coach, like we want to, we want to get people that are, uh, do exactly what we tell, like, Hey, like, like that we, we could give them the advice and they just run with it. Right. And they're, they're self-starters. They're resourceful. They're always on time. They're there with the coaching calls. They're like, tell me what I need to do. And they, and they execute. Right. Mm-hmm. But if those are like eight, nines and tens as clients, but if we're a seven, we're not going to get, we're not going to attract those people. Right. Yeah. If you have a if you have a business and you're trying to build a sales team, a sales force, and you want salespeople that are just sales killers that are doing eight, nine, and ten in commissions, sales each month, and you're a six or a seven, you're never gonna get them. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen. So it starts with you first and leveling yourself up. And what naturally progresses after that is I feel that you put off an energy. It's like you just put off an uh, you resonate at a different frequency. And people notice and people are like, what's different? What are you doing? 
Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you seem, you seem happier. You seem healthy. You seem more successful. You seem like you're just crushing it. Right. And you don't even have to talk about it. You just, you just appear in the world differently. And that was how I started coaching was I just started, I realized that I was not living up to my potential and I was making a lot of mistakes in my life. And I was just repetitive, just toxic behavior that was holding me back. And I got to a point where I was like, enough's enough. Like I'd hit rock bottom. That's enough. I'm done. And so I started working myself. And that, that, that really forced me to do different things and show up differently every single day. Cause I stopped focusing on like, I want to build my business. I don't want to get all these salespeople. I was like, I want to be just the, I want to be the best I can be. And when I did that and I committed to it and I was accountable to it, now people started reaching out to me. People start reaching out to me. They're like, dude, what are you doing? You're crushing it. Like, I want, I want some of the juice you're drinking. And that was just my way of being like, okay, well, all I'm doing is this, this, this. I can help you. Yeah. People wanted me to, to help them and, and to keep them accountable, which is really what coaching is about. It's really just to keep people accountable because people, not all of us, we're, we're not really self accountable. We oh, make yeah. excuses. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes me laugh actually. Cause some people will say like, oh, how do you exercise every day? How do you, how are you so motivated? I'm like, I, I actually could talk myself out of it every day. I literally could. Yeah. I could say, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have the energy for it. And I try and anchor in on how do I feel when it's done? Like that's what calls me in. How can I be the best version of me today? Well, that's going to require those things. Exactly. Like that's, that's the piece of it. And, and I love that how you shared that because I think I actually don't think that people, I say people, I can jump into a coaching space if you can't lead yourself. I just think it has to start with leading yourself first mm-hmm. before you can be in that space with others. But I love how you gave the numbers example there because I think it's a great self-reflection piece to on a regular basis, right? To look inward and go like, where am I? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll stop at the end of the week and I'm like, how did that week go? And it's like, God, there's a lot of things that I didn't like how it went. And it's like, what am I not doing? Or when I'm in a space of like really not being my best self, like really kind of snapping at things, I look at it and go, okay, my boundaries are off. Oh, wait, myself. Oh, look at, I just literally did all the things that I say are important and I wasn't doing any of them. So it's, it's, you know, that self-reflection piece is huge. And what I'm curious then is you've obviously come to that space of learning how to lead yourself through trial and error, through practice, through knowing what does and doesn't work. And what were some of the times like when you weren't leading yourself in the way that you wanted to? So, um, when I first got in the military, like as an officer, you're the, there's a specific path. It's like platoon leader, maybe two platoon or twice, you know, executive officer, commander, so on and so forth. And so the first two positions, the first position I was, was an XO, an executive officer, which, um, you know, I'm basically the second in command of an entire company. And it was a good position. I learned a lot. I, uh, I was young. I was brand new in the military. So I just soaked up everything and just listened. I didn't say much. I just watched and listened. And then I got my opportunity to be a platoon leader. And that's, that's the dream for a lieutenant is like to be a platoon leader and to then deploy and lead a platoon in combat. That's like, especially as a combat arms, as an armor officer, that's like the dream. Right. 
And so I did really well as a, as an armor platoon leader so well that I got selected by the battalion commander to be the scout platoon leader, which each battalion has one scout platoon leader position. It's like a senior scout platoon leader position. And, um, I got selected. And so, and I think this, the, 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 the battalion commander that selected me was also really tall. He was like six, five. I'm six, seven. Oh, and so he just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just gravitated to tall people all the time. And yeah. my buddy like made, made mention that all the time. Cause he was like another platoon leader that was five, six. And like him and I would be beside each other and the battalion commander would be like, Greg, Greg, what's up, bro? And he'd come up and talk to me and he wouldn't say a word to Ben. <laughs> and he would like, Ben didn't even exist. And then like yeah. I'd leave, he'd leave and I'd be like, man, Carl Esperance, he's, he's, he's all right. And Ben would look at me and be like, he didn't even say hi to me, bro. <laughs> it's like, I don't even exist because I'm not at the six foot level. Like you're six, seven. He's like, he could see you across the way. He comes up. He's like, Oh, tall guy. Oh, tall guy, tall guy, tall guy. Oh. So, uh, so I, he picked me and, and, um, I, that was the one position that I really, that I feel I failed at. And, um, I did not have the confidence in myself because I wasn't really working on myself and I wasn't trying to develop myself in a way to be the best I could be mm-hmm. um, to where I could lead my, all my top NCOs the way they need to be led. And so I, I let them get away with stuff that they should not have got away with. And it got to the point to where my platoon sergeant got fired in the middle of a JRTC rotation by the command sergeant major, like, and it disrupted our entire JRTC deployment prior to going to Iraq. Wow. This is like two months before going to Iraq. My platoon sergeant gets fired. And then the, the first sergeant becomes the platoon sergeant. And the first sergeant and I, we, it wasn't like we had anything against each other. We just, we were just two different personalities. We just didn't really mesh. And so when he came in, he saw it as like, you're the leader. You allowed this to happen. And, and if it weren't for you, you're like your lack of leadership you'd still have a platoon sergeant, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix this. And he just basically like ran all over me to the point to where like I ended up getting replaced and I went, became an XO right before deployment. And they pulled in another platoon leader and they, and they said, they said, Hey, like, cause they did have, they had like 10 lieutenants that were waiting for a platoon leader position. Mm-hmm. That they were cycling through. And so they did, they didn't, it wasn't just me that they replaced. There was other people they replaced in order to like, Hey, you got so much platoon your time. We're just kind of switching up, but they replaced me too. And I saw it as like, a, I failed. Right. And I looked back on it and I was like, you know what? There's a lot of things I could have done better. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just reflected on that. And I said, uh, you know, what, what is it that I could have done better? And I realized that, you know, I had to start leading myself in such a way because I did things like, for instance, one of the biggest issues that that the platoon sergeant did was he complained about the decisions that were being made by the upper echelon commands to the soldiers. And you can't do that. No. And, and, and like, and I knew you couldn't do it. And I, but I stood by and let it happen because I would complain to him about some of this because some decisions were just like, dude, why are we, why are we doing this? This doesn't even make sense. Like this, this mission does not make sense in the overarching scheme of everything. Like we're just kind of, it's like wasting time. Like who's coming, who's drawing these op orders up? <laughs> is doing up there with Crant? Like what's going on? 
And so I would like, I would complain to him, then he would complain to the squalers, and the squalers complain to the soldiers, and the soldiers, and you just this trickle down effect. And I realized that I was, I was meant to be a shield for the commander. So I kept everything from them, from them having to handle. So I didn't, I was trying to be a shield for my team, which is also like, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a fine line to walk. Yeah. I was, I had my shield post the wrong way. I, my job is to keep all the problems and issues from hitting the commander so that he can focus on doing his job and I handle as much as I possibly can at my level. Right. And, and I wasn't doing that effectively because I was like, I need to protect my team from having to do these dumb missions and do this, that, the other. And, and ultimately it just, it hurt the team in the long run. And so what I learned was at the end of the day, they're my command. I need to salute the flag and move on and, and, and execute the mission just like I were to do it. And I can, and I cannot let bad news go down and travel downhill. I can complain up. If I disagree with something, I can complain up. And I started learning how to communicate better with my commander. If they came in and said, Hey, we want to do this. I'd be like, sir, I disagree with this. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Here's my reasoning. Here's my justification. I reckon here's my recommendation. I recommend we do this. But at the end of the day, if they still said, Hey, Greg, that's great. I hear you. We're still doing this. Roger, let's go. And I'm saluting the flag and I'm moving on and I'm going to execute. And then I'm going to go to the team like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Boom. And I'm not going to complain about it. Right. And, and that was probably the biggest downfall that I had was, was thinking that as a leader, I have to protect my people. I'm not there to be their best friend. I'm, I'm there to make sure that they that they are trained and ready to go to, go to war, go to battle. Yeah. Literally war. You're, I mean, and in this case, like I can see how I think what you're saying is so relatable to so many areas in life and business. And so like when you came home, then was, what was life like when you came home? You said 2017 is when you came so home. This, so 2017 is when I got out of the military. Okay. Mm-hmm. I said, when I got out of the military. So my first deployment was in 2009. It was all 2009. Mm-hmm. And then my second deployment was 2012. It was like just about all 2012. It was like 11 months. So my first time coming home was weird. You get, you get used to having uh, no freedoms, no liberties, right? Right. So like I, we stayed on a base mm-hmm. and I, and I lived in a little metal shoe, which is a containerized housing unit, little metal shoe. And it's crazy. Cause like I, if I wanted to go to Walmart and go get some food, I can't do that. It doesn't exist. Right. Right. I can go to the DFAC and I, whatever they have, that's what I'm getting. And if I wanted to order something extra, I had to make sure I was planned four weeks in advance because that's how long it took for something to arrive from Amazon <laughs> about four weeks. <laughs> so, so I was like, Hey, we want to, so you start planning things way far out. It's like, okay, well I need to have, uh, uh, that's when I started lifting. Actually, I used to be skinny. I used to be skinny, skinny, skinny. Um, I was like two, I was 170 pounds at six, seven. Oh, that's and- yeah. That's tiny. I was tiny. I was like, I was like baby tiny. And so, um, you know, I had, I had a, a, I don't know if I can curse on here, but I, of course you can. (laughs) Okay. So I, um, Ben, that same lieutenant, the same lieutenant that worked with me in deployment, he, he looked at me at the start of deployment. He was like, Greg, you're a skinny bitch. We're going to start lifting. And he was, he was a bigger dude. And so that's, he was the one that taught me a lot of the basics of fundamentals of lifting. So 
you know, we start lifting and I got to order protein powder. So like I'm ordering it by like the 20 pound bag. And then when it gets like till almost halfway past halfway done, I'm like, I need to order some more because it's going to take that long for it to get here. Right. So it's like, you start to think things through in a way different capacity mm-hmm. so that when I come back home, it's like, Oh, I want to go get this. It's like, I can just get in my car and I can just go to Walmart and go get it. What? Like, it's crazy how adjusted you get to a new way of life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and also the spending time with these people, like the roommate I had, Ben, him and I were roommates for half the deployment. Him and I got closer than I had gotten with just about any other human being in existence. Um, we just learned things about each other, always together, spending time. And, and, uh, and then also the soldiers you spend time with. It's, you just learn things about people that is, um, it's a very intimate connection that you develop. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when I came home, my mom's a psychologist. And when I, the first time I saw my mom, she was like, she was like, you're different. You should need, you need to go, you need to go to seek therapy. Like, did anything happen there? And I was like, yeah, but I'm fine. Like I didn't get hurt. And she was like, nah, you're different. You need to go seek therapy. And I never did. I, I did. I didn't seek therapy until after I got out of the military. So that would have been like you said, roughly almost another seven years before you. Yeah, yeah. About, about about eight eight nine years before I started seeking therapy because it was it wasn't until 2018 when I really hit rock bottom, and it was just like it was this trauma that was building and building and building that I was just ignoring that I was just putting into a little box on the inside of me and just throwing yep. into a dark corner <laughs> like ah, I don't want to deal with that right shoving it down shoving it down shoving it down. I mean, I think that for so long, we have almost been judged for showing feeling emotions. I think that's even more amplified for men. I'm sure that's even more amplified for men in military background. Like you, you could just see all the amplifications and I'm sure your mom was able to see it, mm. but then your reflection is like, but I, I'm not hurt. Like I'm not hurt. So I'm fine. And that's the the piece of it. So tell us what was bottom like for you? Um. But long story short, um, I almost committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put a I put a gun to my head. Uh, I didn't have the courage to pull the trigger. Wow! But uh, um, can I ask you what stopped you in that moment? <laughs> I had a I had a buddy that I called. Nice. I had, I had a friend that he was in, he deployed to Afghanistan with me, and him him and I were very close. Yeah. And. Um, I was in a toxic, I was in a really bad relationship. So I got divorced while I was in the military. I've got four kids, my ex-wife, mm-hmm. and uh, she cheated on me while I was in my first deployment in Iraq. And I found out about it and uh, didn't do anything about it. And then I found out um, she was still talking to the same man years later in 2014. And she had talked to him during my second deployment. And I just kind of lost it. And I was like, no, this isn't okay. And I got so mad. So I uh, cheated on her to get her back. Cause that's, cause that's the right thing to do. Yep. That's the right. That's the mature thing to do. A lot of human, it's a human behavior. It's a human behavior cycle. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, I told her about it. The guilt ate at me and I told her about it. We ended up having this, like come to Jesus moment. It's just like, we both like just confessed everything and, and we're, we're going to go to therapy, but, um, through therapy, she just got very self-conscious and very like asking very, very deep and like probing questions about that affair. Cause it was more recent. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and she wanted to know all the details. And I was like, I'll tell you, but you don't want think you want to know this stuff, right? And so, uh, so it gets to the point where she just, it, it was eating at her. And I was like, Hey, I think it's better if we get a divorce. I don't think we're going to be able to survive this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she tried to fight for it. And I was just like, I'm, I'm pretty set on this. I think because every single time I go on a deployment going forward, I'm going to be thinking you're talking to this guy again. Yeah. So, so, uh, we ended up getting divorced and that was where, that's really when my, my, um, depression started kicking in and where the, the compounding of my PTSD. And so my PTSD is more, it, it's, it's like a, um, I'm so used to being in a high stress environment and having high stress that it's like, if you were to take a cup and fill it up with stress or anxiety levels, my cup's always like at 80%. When I wake up, I'm just, I'm just that level. Now, the good thing about that is that most things don't stress me out mm-hmm. because I'm so used to high stress that I'm just like, meh, don't care. Like, this is nothing. But things that do stress me out, problems that I can't fix, right? Uh, being away from my kids, I got very little room before my cup overflows. And that's when that was when it started to manifest. And um, the way that I dealt with it was by drinking copious amounts of alcohol mm-hmm. and finding comfort and uh, being with other women yeah, and throwing myself into relationships really quickly. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be alone. Couldn't be, I did not want to be alone because then I had to face everything that I did to get to that point, which make no mistake. I did take actions that got me to that point. Mm-hmm. And I very much wanted to point the finger at she cheated on me first, right? Mm-hmm. And that was eating at me. And I didn't know, like, like knowing, looking back with, in retrospect, I know what was eating at me, but I didn't know that. I just knew that I felt alone and I didn't want to sit alone with my thoughts. It made me depressed. So I want to feel loved and I felt abandoned. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I searched it for finding love externally from a woman. And, uh, yeah, I, I just started going to these toxic relationships that were doomed to fail because I was not the person I needed to be. And so I wasn't attracting the person that I needed in my life. And I attracted this wrong person and I wasn't happy in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I wasn't happy that I was causing these small fights that shouldn't have ever happened. We were miscommunicating all the time. And every time we got into a small fight, she would go fly off the handle and be like, I'm fucking done. I don't want to like, we're over. I'm leaving. And that would throw me into this negative mental spiral. Like I'm about to be alone again, even though I wasn't happy with her and I felt trapped. I didn't want to be alone even more. So I'm like, no, like I'm like spiraling out of control every single time. And, and so, um, this one day in May, 2018, she, we got into a stupid fight again. And, uh, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. She storms upstairs, locks herself upstairs. She's like, I'm fucking done. I'm leaving you. We're over. And I'm like, well, I had nothing to do but drink. So I go 10 o'clock in the morning and I start drinking Jack. I handle the Jack, crack open a brand new one. I drink half of a handle of Jack between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Oh, wow. I drank, I drank so much that day. And uh, I was calling my friends, calling my buddy. And I was like, dude. Like, and, and I'm stressed about it and I'm venting and I'm like, at first I'm like angry, but then it's like hitting me. Like, she's actually going to leave, I think. And then I'm like, what do I do? And then I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, 
why am I so upset? I'm just like, dude, I'm not happy. And it's like spiraling. This conversation is just starting off with anger and it's just branching off quickly from anger to sadness, to sadness, to depression, depression, to like suicidal thoughts. And cause I don't want to even want to be here anymore. And I don't even want to be alive. Like, I'm tired of this. No one loves me. I can't spend time with my kids. I lost my marriage. Like this isn't my life's not fucking working. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I hate to say it, but it's like in that, this isn't fair victim mentality, which yeah. we, which yeah. there's no judgment because we all spend time there and some people never leave that space, right? They just never leave that space. And so it's easy to spiral in that space. And you're in that, you're in that time saying like, I, I hate where I'm at. I don't, this, this relationship is not working, but I don't want to be alone more than right. I don't want to have this, right? Like that's the the big piece of it even though you were probably more alone than what you realize. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was, it was, I didn't have the courage to be alone to face my thoughts also. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, this conversation, and what I can say is for, for depression, and especially when we start to have suicidal ideations, th- those thoughts can, can evolve quickly. And they can jump from one to the next. What starts off as like, I don't really want to be here. So it, it, it can really quickly turn into, I don't want to be alive. And then turn into you Googling like ways to end your life peacefully. Like yeah. it, it happens quick and it's almost like gravity. It's like falling into gravity. Just re- like releasing yourself. And it's, it's crazy how quickly it happens. Cause I've never been that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, five o'clock hits and I'm like, you know what? I, I can't think about this because I had an appointment for insurance to go to. And I was like, I got to go to this appointment and I'm blasted. I stumble upstairs and I'm like getting ready. And she's like, where are you going? I was like, I got appointment to sex. And she's like, you can't drive. You've been drinking all day. And I was like, eh, I'm fine. I'm fine. She's like, well, let me, let me drive you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You stay here. Stay locked up in the bedroom. No. She's like, no, no, no. She kind of comes over and tries to comfort me. And she's like, no, let me help you. And I'm like, I'm like, no, you don't love me. You don't love me. You don't want to be with me. You know, and I'm, I'm being obstinate because I'm upset. And she tried to console me. And I took this opportunity to explain to her how I truly felt. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain to her that, that basically I was telling her that I felt suicidal and that I felt like I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be alive. I don't want to be there. And I, how unhappy I was feeling every time she, every time she jumped to, you know, she was leaving. It made me feel abandoned. Like no one loved me. And like the spiral that happens in my mind I'm trying to explain this to her and I shit you not, Marsha. I shit you not. She looks me in my eye and she says, well, why don't you go fucking slit your wrist then? Oh, oh no. And I, oh, I'm okay. First off, I'm sorry. Second, and I don't even like the word I'm sorry because that's just not, but it's like when you're in that vulnerable space for you to share, like, look, this is where I'm at. And like, this is, I'm on this teeter totter and it's not feeling good. Like, I'm not feeling like I'm going to stay on the side to be open and vulnerable. That's a, that's a, that's a scary response to get back. Yeah. She so probably be- wasn't able to respond though. I'm not defending, but it's like, to be a person like that, that's unfortunately extremely disheartening when I hear stories like that. And I'm not sure if she sounds like the person who could have held enough space to be able to support you in the way that you needed to be supported in that time. That is, yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So how, what happened from there? That was, that was like this moment. 
That was the moment of clarity. I was like, well, that's my sign. I'm not meant to be here. Like, uh, okay, that's good. No, like I'm not meant to be on this planet. Oh, I thought you meant not to be there in that. Res- oh, so you took like, that like, as like a and, literal sign. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's the sign. So I just stopped talking and I just, I stared at her for like, a felt like an attorney. It's probably five seconds. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, she really said that. I slowly walked away and I went to my closet and I opened my closet. I grabbed up my pistol case. It was locked. I pulled out my keys. I'm unlocking it. And I'm doing this all very slow. It's methodical. And I'm opening yeah. it. And as I'm doing this, she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Hey, why are you getting that? Hey, stop it. Stop it right now. Stop it. She's like, I'm calling the cops. And so by the time I've already like opened up the case and pulling out the pistol, she's calling the 911 and she's running out of the room. Yeah. So she runs out of the room. She's got a daughter at this time is two who by all intents and purposes, I'm this kid's dad who's mm-hmm. calling me dad because her dad was non-existent. She runs across the room into the, into the other room and or she's watching TV in the playroom locks the door and she's on speakerphone. I can hear her talking, <laughs> freaking out to a 911 operator. And I load the pistol. And I sat there for a second and I was like, no, she wants me to slip my wrist. She's watching this. She's going to watch this. As I exit this world and I walk to the room and I forced the door open and it was like five or 10 seconds of just straight craziness, like pandemonium, just chaos of me holding the pistol screaming. Like, this is what you wanted. And like, this is what you wanted. And she's like on the phone screaming and she's like, he's got a gun and 911 operator screaming. Like we were sending cops now. And her daughter's just looking at me with wide eyes of terror screaming. And I looked at her daughter and I realized like it stopped me for a second. And I realized that that was freaking the fuck out of this kid. And I was like, I'm not trying to fucking hurt them. I want to hurt myself. Yeah. So I closed the door. I walked downstairs and I went out in the backyard and I sat down and I called my friend. I said, Hey man, sorry. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. This is my, this is my, this is my last call, bro. (laughs) Like just, I'm ready to go. And I got the pistol on my lap and he was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you know, you're not doing this. Come on, stop. Like, relax. You know, he's like, you can still come back from it. I was like, I don't think you understand. And as I'm talking, as he's telling us cop car, cop car, cop car, sirens, like 10 cop cars show up my house. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think you understand. Like I got the cops here. Like, this is real. This is happening. This is real. And he was like, he's like, bro, have you done anything? And as he's trying to talk to me, they're on loudspeakers. Like, Gregory Birch, come out with your hands up. <laughs> I've never been in trouble with the cops before in my life. Ever. You know, I had a top secret security clearance with the military. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I've never done anything wrong in my life. So wow. I was like, so I'm like freaking out. I'm like, dude, my life's over. My life's over. And he was like, have you done anything? Have you fired the weapon? No. Did you put your hands on anybody? No. Did you hurt yourself? No, mm-hmm. you just threatened to do it. Yes. Okay. You haven't done anything. So let's go inside. Let's take the weapon out. Go talk to the cops. Right. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'll go inside. So I go inside the cops call and uh, they're like, Hey, where are you at? Where's the weapon? Blah, blah. Hey, it's I'm in the living room. It's on the couch. He's like, they're like, okay, unload it and come outside. I open the door. I walk outside, man. As soon as I walk outside, like pff, every emotion hits me. I start crying so heavy. I've never cried this hard in my life. <laughs> I'm like, you hit a, like a, a wall, ceiling, everything's happening at once at this time. Oh, it was insane. 
that was the most insane cry session I've ever had in my life. I, I like I felt every emotion just like wash over me as I walked out to go speak to these cops. And I just I couldn't control myself. I was like uncontrollably sobbing, you know, and and trying to like walk. I couldn't even see because my eyes were watering so bad and I was just snot pouring out of my nose. And I go up to this cop and he's like, and he looks at my house and my front door's open. And uh, above that mindset picture that's behind me, there's my company guide on my colors from when I was in command. And it's hanging on the far wall above my TV. And he looks and he can see the colors and he looks back at me. He's like, did you serve? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, did you, de- did you deploy? And I was like, yeah, both I've back in Afghanistan. And then he like leans in. He's like, are you seeking treatment with the VA? And I said, no. And it was like, brother, you need to, you took some shit back with you. Oh. you and he put his hand on my shoulder and he was like, we're going to get you some help. All right. We're going to teach you taken care of. Yeah. And, um, I got, I got, I went to a inpatient facility and, um, I sat in a, I sat in a waiting room. I never got checked in. I sat in a waiting room for 48 hours. For 48 hours, I sat in this waiting room. Did anybody uh, see you? Like you sat in the waiting, oh, in the waiting room. Awful. Sat in the waiting room for 48 hours until my sister, my sister drove in from Tennessee and came and took custody of me. And we went straight to the VA and I got, I started doing the paperwork process to get seen by VA. I got a medication. But while I was sitting there, I hadn't even been there for like maybe four to six hours. That the fiance I was with, she, she called my ex-wife to tell her what happened. Now this was in May and I get the kids over the summer, summer, spring break, holidays, weekends, because they're in a different state yeah. and, and they do school year with my ex-wife and then they do all the breaks with me. It's the way we just put it up. And, uh, my ex-wife calls me at that facility. And and they're like, hey, Gregory Bird, you got a call. And so I'll go up and and then I'm like, hello, it's my ex-wife. She's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, you know, I've had better days. Mm-hmm. Better days. And she's like, yeah, I heard. Yeah, I just got off the phone with you know with uh, your fiance and hey, I just wanted to call and let you know that I, I'm putting it in a protective custody order, um, and I'm taking your custody from the kids. You're not going to be seeing them again. So you're at this lowest, 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 lowest point. Yep. And that's the call you get like four to six hours while you're sitting in this space for 48 hours where nothing happens. So where nothing happens. Yeah. Where So literally like you think of that four to six hours, you got like another like 42 plus hours to sit there and do and think and go through. So like that is, I mean, that's literally an epitome of rock bottom, really. And like, how do you, how do you navigate through that to make it, to make strides? Because like you've shared it in a way, and I've had a lot of different stories on here. Like we, we deal with a lot of different, um, heavier stories just like this, but you have given us a glimpse of what that low rock bottom felt like. Like I think anybody listening is going to be able to pick that up and feel that, so how did you navigate from that time to, to create some change where it feels like now there's really nothing? So the first thing I did is I started seeking therapy. Like I got, I, I was, I was forced almost like, Hey, you got to get on, you had to get on medication. Yep. And, and that was because I was really forced because of the kids. So I had to get it again, a lawyer. And they were like, Hey, the first thing you got to do is you got to start seeking therapy and you got to get on medication. And the, the, you have to show your prescription 
to the courts showing that you are actually taking steps in order to fight this with your ex-wife. So that like, I had to do that. The second thing that was like, I was like, you know, it's really going to work is if I can, if I can work with my fiance and like work things out, Mm -hmm. showing that like I've come back and I've made it better, that will help with the courts and like getting my kids back. And so I went back and I just, I got on my knees and I begged her to let me make it right. And I was like, I'll go to counseling. I'm going to counseling. I'm going to medication. I'll go to couples counseling. We went to couples counseling. I was like, I will give you my all. Like, I, I want to make this work. I'm sorry. And I, and this give me the opportunity to make it right. And we tried, we tried and we limped along for until November of that year. And then we broke up. And, um, but through, through therapy, I understood, I had a, a understanding of what my PTSD was like. And I understood my, the, the signs and the symptoms that I would get when I was get when I was getting anxious. Or like that I so that my cup didn't overflow. So I could just start like, hey, I'm getting out of this situation. Like I'm exiting stage right. Can't do this. I'll be back in the next hour or so. So I can like just like calm down. And I started to uh, understand my triggers. And when I understood my triggers, I could get myself out of situations and be just a little bit healthier. But I did I didn't learn the skills immediately to actually reduce my stress and reduce my overall anxiety level all the time. Um, it took, in, it took for me to about 2020 because I kept doing the same thing. Like once I broke up with that woman in November, I started another relationship right away in 2018 that went through all 2019 into 2020. And then I had another relationship in 2020 that was until the end of 2020. And when that relationship ended, it was like every single one of them, they ended spectacularly bad. Mm-hmm. And it was always like, <laughs> How does this happen? My buddy looks at me and he's like, dude, you, you keep having, you keep picking these crazy women, bro. It, it's, you can see it in hindsight and yeah. you can see it when it's not you, when it's somebody else, right? You can see it when it's a friend. I've, we, we're going through this with somebody that we know right now. And it's like, she, you know, she's the exact same person. It's just a different name, right? Like it's the exact same person. You keep picking the same person until you and but it doesn't take it from a person take it from money take it from business you continue to make the same choices over and over again until the lessons become clear and it's like oh wait what am i doing here like what what am i doing why am i repeating this why am i choosing this and so i mean thank you for being like so incredibly vulnerable to share all of that because i know that's going to resonate with somebody and so what was the tipping point there where you're like okay the female's not the answer. The partner's not the answer. The alcohol's not the answer. Like what's, I've got to have this come to the mirror moment of like, what, what's working, what's not. So, um, when he had that, when he had that conversation with me, I had a moment of clarity and enlightenment. And it was as simply as was like, maybe I'm the problem. And I was like, I think I'm the problem. And it, it reminded me of Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've ever heard, have you yeah. heard that, that story of the baby were the problem where he's talking about the, the black death, uh, of childbirth, uh, story. I know that one. So it's, it's like back in the medical, uh, evolution days, back when there were, uh, science was starting to pick up. It was like the early 1900s. Um, there was this black death of childbirth. And it's, I think it's like the early 1900s and it was in, um, Europe. It was like spread across Europe. And it's like 70% of all women were dying after childbirth. It was high. It was really, really high. And they didn't understand why. 
And so it's like, hey, this is also during the height of medical science mm-hmm. when it was going through this like revolution. So they would, they wanted to study these bodies. So they would spend all night doing autopsies of these women. And then they would go and they would deliver babies until one person came in and said, Hey, we're the problem. You're digging around in dead bodies and then you're going straight into delivering babies. That's what's killing the women. And he was laughed at for like centuries, for like decades, for like 40 years. He was, this doctor was laughed at. And it was Earl, I was like Dr. Herschel, I think is the name. Um, he was laughed at. And so it was just the simple concept of like, we're the problem. We're causing it. And it wasn't until like the 1940s when they started sterilizing the medical tools and washing hands in between surgeries that it completely went away. And they realized that was the problem. So they were the problem. They were the problem. And so, and I, I always remember that story and I was like, this keeps happening. Maybe I'm the problem. And, and so I started, and that was the first time in my adult life I decided to be single. So from the time that I met my ex-wife, we were dating in college as a 19 year old kid until 2020 when I was 37, 35, sorry, 35 years old. I had not been single longer than two days, two days, 48 hours. Cause as soon as I broke up with somebody, I was boom in another relationship. I wasn't processing shit. I wasn't doing anything. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be single. And that was hard. And I was always obsessed with the military and how the military can change people through discipline. It can take anybody from any walk of life, control the variables, control your environment, control what you eat, what you drink, when you sleep, how long you sleep, control how much physical activity, what you learn, what you're reading. And in depending upon the basic training between eight to 12 weeks, can change you as a person. Like anyone that goes through basic training can tell you like they're a different person when they graduate. They have more confidence. They're able to go, they're ready to go on the battlefield. And when they start, they're not. Yeah. And so there's, there's also an external accountability source, your, your drill sergeant, which is yelling at you to do these things. Right. So I was like, well, if I control a lot of these things in my life, if I control what I'm eating, if I control how much water I'm drinking, if I get rid of alcohol, if I control what I'm reading, start reading daily, if I control doing physical activity every single day, and I focus on these things to create good daily disciplines, I can get back to where I was, back to where I disciplined mindset what I had in the military. Because discipline can be lost. And I had lost it because mm-hmm. I was getting, I was gaining weight. I wasn't happy. I was eating shit food. I was over drinking alcohol. I wasn't bettering myself by reading as in and out of these constant toxic relationships. And so, um, I started doing that and I held myself accountable to it. And I held myself accountable by community accountability, by posting about it. So it's like, I'm a post about this every single day. And if I don't post about it, that means I missed it. And I got to admit that I missed it. Right. So I don't want to lie to you guys because I'll lie to myself all day long, but I won't lie to other people. That external accountability is really powerful. Like it's really, really powerful. And what happened when you started to share those parts of yourself? Were you surprised at the response? Yes. Yeah. Cause I was always very ashamed. Like this is in 2021. I started this and, um, and I, I had that whole episode in 2018 that I didn't talk about. It. I was ashamed of it. 
Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I felt guilt still. I was ashamed. I didn't want to talk about it. And I started to share over time. I started to share like, this is why I'm doing this, right? This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm, why I'm doing it. Here's my reasoning. And I found a lot of people came out and support and they're like, they found relatability in my cause, mm-hmm. my why. And they were, ha- they were suffering from the same issues, the same, the same vices and inner demons that they were, that I was struggling with. They struggle with too, mm-hmm. or similar ones that was, that were affecting their life in the same way. And so I realized that I wasn't alone. I always thought I was alone. I always thought I was the one dealing with it. Like I had this mask I was putting on. Everyone was like, oh man, you always seem so happy. And it's just like, dude, I was struggling. I was dying inside. I didn't want to be there. I was always thinking about how could I end this? <laughs> like, like I was, I was unhappy. And when I started to open up and share, but I also started to be consistent, like no matter how I felt, I'm doing these things, hold myself accountable. It didn't just change my physical body, which I did want to change my physical body because I'm kind of getting fat. I didn't just change my physical body. It changed my mind into spiritual alignment. Like I started vibrating in a different, I was, I literally became a different man. Mm-hmm. I started podcasting before all these things happened because of that instant. And it was, it was so life changing. And, um, I'll tell one story that was like really impactful. Mm-hmm. I was, I'd been doing this for maybe like, I was about, I was about a month and a half in. Of doing this, of like consistent just every single day. And I, st- I was starting to feel like, like in alignment. Like I was just, I was, I was in my flow all the time, like all day. I was in a flow zone. It was crazy. I never felt anything like this. And, uh, I started going back to church on a recommendation from somebody. It's like, Hey, we like, like I started saying yes to all these opportunities, right? Yes to life and yes to this and that. Cause I watched Yes Man. I was like, dude, like the, the, the parable and the similar, the similarities of his life. I was like, I want to do something like that. I wanted to say yes to things. So I started going back to church. I started, uh, tithing, which I'd never tithed in my adult life. Uh, mm-hmm. I started podcasting and I just started with no equipment. You know, I started with, with a webcam and the mic off my iMac. I, I went back and started doing Brazilian, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, and I started expanding my business and I started to do new sales techniques and I started sales coaching and all these things started happening. So I'm, I'm in church one day and every day in church, when we would take sacrament, I would repent and I would just say a simple, I'm sorry for doing this this week. I'm sorry for doing that. I'm going to do better. Right. I could have, I could have not, um, you know, I could have, I could have, uh, uh, tithe more. Or something like that, you know, whatever I can come up with. So I'm sitting there and I'm repenting my very basic, uh, non-committal repentance. And this voice in my head comes booming as like, you're not done repenting. You're not done saying sorry. Oh. And it stopped me in my track. Like, and it's like, I stopped and I thought for a second. And the first thing that popped in my mind was the previous relationship I had just exited that I had just gotten out of in the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this is around March 2021. Now I'm still hung up on her a little bit, not as much, but a little bit. I'm still angry about a lot of the things that she did. Mm-hmm. But I looked back on the relationship and I looked back on it with a different lens. And I didn't look at the things that she did. I looked at the things that I did individually without a response from her or in response to her, just those actions by themselves. And when I looked at those actions by themselves, I was like, you know what? 
not really in line with the person that I know myself to be, with who I am in my heart. Like that wasn't a good thing to do, regardless of if she did something first or not. Doesn't matter. That was not a good thing to do. And I, and I took accountability for it and I repented for that. And I felt great. Like I felt like I finally like released her. She was gone. And I was like, man, that feels good. I'm going to wrap up my, my prayer. You're not done yet. I'm like, what? (laughs) And I start working backwards every single relationship I've had in my adult life, everything that I had done. And it was, it was fucking hard. I'm sure. I, I, started, I started crying. I was like crying. I was weeping in church because I started realizing I was like, man, I've been a shitty person and I'm not a shitty person in my heart, mm-hmm. but I had done some shitty things that were not in alignment. And that's, what's been holding me back is I'm doing these things. I'm not accounting for them. And it started when I cheated on my fucking wife because I was a shitty husband and I was a shitty dad. And I was a piss poor example to my, to my boys. And I made the excuse that it was okay because she did it first and it was not okay. And it was eating at me. It was eating my fucking soul because I was avoiding dealing with that accountability. So what did I do? I kept making the same bullshit mistakes, doing the same thing because I hadn't accounted for what I had done that was bullshit. And it, I'm telling you, when I got out of that church that day, I saw the world in a completely different view. That's amazing. It was, it was eye opening. It was so transformational that people started reaching out. So they're like, dude, there's something different with you. What is going on? And, and I just told him, I was like, this is what's happening. And I was like, this is, this is so phenomenally like transformational. Like I feel like a different human being. I feel so like lighter and happier and like the potential that I know that the greatness within me is like so within like physical reach. I can just think it's happening. Right. As so this is crazy. You know, and I said I had to share it with people. And that's how I started coaching because people are just like, dude, what's what is different? And I started helping them to achieve the same thing. And it's just through like radical accountability, doing discipline action, and just trying to show up every day as the best version of yourself, right? And yeah, it it was it was so eye-opening. So I, I I'm I'm thankful that I hit that rock bottom, that I had to I had to go through those things in order to force me to take a look, a hard look in the mirror and say, what are the things that I'm doing that's causing this, this friction in my life that's keeping me from getting in alignment? And that's that piece of like living at cause, being in full ownership, looking at and doing that without like, again, it's not a sense of like shame. You don't need more shame, judgment, criticism at that point. It's just a space of ownership that's like, okay, now I can see. Like I can see how I was responding to everything. And you were also in a space of like wearing this, all these masks and just avoiding and not feeling and not dealing. And then also you just pile another one on and another one and another one. And you can see how anybody listening, you can see how easy that is to do. Like it's very easy. So easy to do. It's so easy to do. It's easy to do in like normal everyday life. Now add like military trauma, like at like just add different layers. It's very easy to do. And it's not until you start to find a way to change that lens that you can look at it and go, okay, wait, like what is like, I am the one consistent thing that's been happening. So how can I do this differently? And when you can learn to, you know, I I talk a lot about forgiveness and I think it's really important. It's like 
learning how to forgive ourselves is one of the most, I think is a really powerful thing to do. I really do because it's, you know, I found myself holding on to a lot of different emotions towards other people. And when I really got honest about it, it was like, Oh no, you gotta, like, you gotta figure this out for yourself first. Like you've got to find a way to forgive yourself. Mm. And it is, it is such a process, but when you can do that, I find like when you can practice forgiveness, practice compassion, you actually start to let go of the things that you're not meant to carry anymore. Like they, Sure. Would you have liked to learn the lessons faster than what you did? Yeah. I'm sure you would have. Like, I'm sure you would have, but it, that was your path to walk through all of that muck in order to figure it out, in order to be able to come to a space of creating change in your own life to create what you are doing in the world and sharing that. So, I mean, I love it because I think the first time I met you, you talked about insurance. And then I saw a video and I'm like, okay, well, you left out a lot of parts of your story the first time. (laughs) It's more of an insurance. And I just think it's, I think it's really powerful. So if you look at it now, like where you are today, um, who do you do the work, the depth, the impact of the work that you do today? If you had not walked through some of those difficult times, experiences and years. No, absolutely not. Um, It's it's kind of like there's a saying it's called disposition before position, which is you have to you have to like live the life or like do the actions before you get that that uh the title, right? Like you have to be and act like a CEO before you become a CEO. Because if you just become it and you haven't been acting like one or doing the job or responsibilities beforehand, you're not gonna magically be like, oh, okay, now I'm gonna be the best CEO because you're not gonna know what to do. And so having the impact in the lives and the people that I'm helping to overcome their vices, their inner demons, their struggles. I, if I had not overcome mine, I wouldn't be able to effectively do that. Right. <laughs> if I didn't learn how to forgive myself first, I wouldn't have been able to forgive everyone else. Like I've forgiven, I, I forgave my ex-wife for, for, you know, calling me that one time and being like, Hey, I'm taking your custody, which by the way, I ended up, it took four years. The custody battle didn't end until 2022. But I ended up winning. I ended up getting more custody. Wow. No, but I, because I did the work. Yeah. And so, and I forgave her and, and we have a great relationship. Like we're going on a cruise literally in less than 20 days, her, her, her current husband, me and all their, their, they have two kids together. And then our four kids, we're all going on a family cruise together to Cancun or to uh, uh, Bahamas. All together. And like I'm I'm actually gonna fly out to their house. I stay now when I go visit, I stay at their house with them. Um, so I'll stay at their house beforehand for about a week and then we'll go to the cruise together, come back, and then I'll come back to to Tejas. So. Okay. So first off, that's amazing. And I love those kind of stories. And I think for anybody who's listening, like that's what healing looks like. It, yeah. it that's what healing looks like is you're able to, you know, re- rebuild a relationship in a way that never existed in the first place. Like it's actually better than what it was in the first place. And what a beautiful way for your kids to be able to see like that they get to, to see this, this level of um, working together and this that co-parenting. Yeah. Co-parenting in a way that is just beautiful for them to see, but that requires the adults to do the work in order for that to happen. So, mm-hmm. wow. Wow. I absolutely like, thank you for sharing everything the way that you did. And I know like, so let me just take it this way. What do you do primarily right now in supporting other clients? So um, I do coaching. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I've, I started coaching primarily this year. So I started coaching a little bit like on the side mm-hmm. in 2021 when I first started that transformation, just because people were reaching out to me and I just started helping them. And I, and, and it wasn't until this year that, um, I started having, I started having a lot of pod, podcasts and that people are like, you should be a coach. You should tell your story more. Blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, finally, like, it was like manifest. It was happening. I wanted to be a coach. So I started my company, Delta Fit, and uh, I started coaching and I've been doing it since about March. I still have my insurance and I do, I have so many leaders that I've developed and I've helped to build that they, they literally run most of the operations. I'm just there to kind of check off. It's like a check some balances thing. So mm-hmm. I spent about 20% of my time with the insurance and I spent about 80% of my time on coaching because that's really my passion is, is helping people transform. I, I love it. There's nothing that's more fulfilling. It's, I'm glad to hear that that's your split because I was like, I just can't picture you only working with insurance. I just think you've not, there's anything wrong with that, but I just can picture, I just think you've got big work to do. Like there's, there's something about seeing more men step into this space. I cannot say it enough. I really, I really can't. I'm, see, I'm seeing it more. We see more and more men coming forward, being open, being vulnerable, sharing stories and like helping others. And I just think there's a lot of room and a lot of people who will benefit from that work. Yeah. And there's a lot of men that need the help, to be honest. They do. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do. It's, 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 um, I mean, I just think feel like we're like on that tip of it, but I can definitely see it happening more and more. Um, I was at a conference in 2018. Lewis Howes spoke at it and I love Lewis Howes. I love the work that he does. He's, he's but, yeah. He's awesome. He really is. And like, speaking of humble, like just really down to earth, humble guy. And there was 600 women, one man in the room. And that was, that was Lewis. And he spoke in the way he spoke, he said something that has stuck with me since then. And he just said, you know, it's amazing to watch this space. There's 600 women in this room. These women come together. You guys are lifting each other up. You're encouraging each other. And this doesn't exist yet for men. It's not available for men in this, in this way, shape or form. So the reason I do the work that I do is because there's a lot of you out there who have boys. So don't do this just for the women, do it for your boys, do it for the other men in your life, do it for that. And it just was such a moment of being able to see it from somebody else's point of view. So I've always been very cognizant of, you know, seeing and encouraging and wanting to see more men in these, in these spaces. I think it's incredibly important. You have something that you can share that is going to help people that is is not going to come from me. And I just think it's, I just, I just love it. So I'm grateful you did the work that you're doing and that you still get to do the work you're doing now and create the impact that you have. Are you still podcasting? Yes. Yeah. I thought so. You're a good podcaster. I love being, I, it was a few months ago that I was on your show. Um, but we just had a really, we had a great conversation and yeah. it is a beautiful way to connect with people, isn't it? Like it really yeah. is. Yeah. It's changed. It actually, that's what did the, the podcast this year. And I think we recorded the end of last year. Um, I think, I think. So. Uh, but the, starting to all the recordings I was doing the end of last year and the beginning of this year is what really encouraged me because I was connecting with so many cool people that were doing so many different things that I was learning so much. I was like, you know what? I can do this. Like I, I was always kind of hesitant to go into coaching. I was like, well, I don't know how to start. I don't know what apps to use. I don't know how to do this. I don't know that. And I, I picked up so much and I, I just got that belief like, Oh, I can find out how to do these individual things. Cause what's really important is who am I helping and what's, what am I helping them with? What's my message? And, and I knew that that was the hardest part. And I knew that. And so, um, getting to where I could, to where I could just market it or, or come out into the world and tell people 
hey, let me go and help you and provide some kind of value, um, which is what I spend all, most of my time doing now. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to provide some kind of value to help people to get from from where they're at to where they want to be. That's exactly true. And I want to make sure that you tell people where they can connect and follow you because you do give a lot of value in your, I see a lot of your Instagram stories, but in your, in your reels and content there. So I know you give a lot of different content. Where's the best way for people to connect and follow you? My Instagram. That's where I do most of my content. Where I mean, I, I do a lot of the content that I put on my Facebook and I put on my LinkedIn, but I started always in my Instagram. And so, uh, my, and my Instagram is, uh, Gregory A. Birch underscore. And that's B I R C H like the tree. And then if you, if you are interested, I do have the be the difference podcast where Marsha was on, she said, and you can go listen to that. I try to, and I always try to keep that really about some kind of coaching, um, sales leadership, mindset marketing in order to help provide some kind of valuable information that can help you. And then, um, my coaching website is deltafitlife.com. And so if you ever have any questions about it, like how I do what I do, I go into pretty good detail about like how I structure my coaching and, and cause I, I'm, I'm more physical fitness based, but I use it as a gateway into mental and spiritual alignment into your life. So as an overall comprehensive fitness. Mm-hmm. Which I think is so much more important than just like just the physical aspect mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. So I'll make sure everything is in the show notes. I love this connection and conversation, which I knew I would. Like I said, I, I love stories. First time I met you, it was all about what you do. And then I saw one of your reels and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you didn't share any of that. So that's when I reached back out and I was like, no, we need to make this happen. So I'm so glad we were able to make this connection happen because I know the way that you've shared your story will support somebody. I guarantee it. I absolutely guarantee it. Um, love this conversation. I have one more question for you. Greg, yes, what, what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Um, so, and this will be, a, I guess, a good message for everybody. That's, that's, you know, if you're in a dark place, um, that, that, that relationship that ended in, in 2018, that the, the one that was really terrible, that put me at rock bottom. Um, when she ended, I was really broken up because I was like, I did everything. I did everything. I went to counseling. I went to couples counseling, like and it still ended. And, um, I, I, I was in a bad spot, you know, uh, fit financially. I was in a bad spot, uh, emotionally, mentally. And so I was trying to struggling to get through it. And I was, uh, I got a, another job that was a nine to five. It was a salary plus commission and it was a small salary, but it wasn't enough to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it on top of insurance because I was struggling in insurance because I couldn't even focus. And so, um, I, I was going through the training. I was like the last week of the training, uh, it was a two weeks training. I was on the last week and I had a bad day and she, she had come by to come grab the keys cause she was getting stuff out of the house and, uh, I couldn't focus. And I was so depressed. And there was a guy that was going through training. He's young. He was like 10 years younger than me. He's in his twenties. And he was like, uh, you know, he, I told him everything, you know, we just talked and he would go on smoke break and I'd tell him stuff. And, uh, cause I needed to vent cause I was like, just tell everybody my story. He's like that time frame. You know? <laughs> so he saw that she had came and he saw how I was and he was like, dude, you're not, you're not doing well. And it's like, I can't, I cannot go back fucking inside and go sit at that desk and just, make random dials like i i can't i can't do it i was like i gotta go and it was like three o'clock and we're still supposed to be there for two hours he's like i'll cover for you and i started walking in my car and i started crying like as i'm walking in my car like i'm almost i'm trying to like hold it as i'm walking through the parking garage i'm like don't do it don't do it greg and <laughs> like i couldn't handle it and he texted me and he texted me something very simple he said greg 
the night's always darkest before the dawn. The dawn is coming. And I was like, man, he's so right. <laughs> and I cried. That was the last time I cried for her. And I cried the whole way home. I listened to music that was made remind me of her. And, and I was like, no more. And I was, and so, and, and, and ultimately, and I was, that was just a really nicely timed text at the right time that just reminded me that change is, is happening. Change is always coming. No matter what, guess what? There's going to be times when times are great. Change will come. It's not going to last forever. There's going to be times when they're going bad. Change will come. Okay. You're, it, 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 it says it is as natural law as the sun will rise and fall. And so will, so will the moon and stars. It's just the way that it is. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. It makes me think of, I heard this Tom Hanks clip and he says, you know, when things are really dark, like this too shall pass. Yeah. And when things are going really great, this too shall pass. Like, don't get so caught. Like, don't let the highs be so high and the lows be so low. Let it know that like, it comes and goes. That is part of life. And it is hard because sometimes when you're in those low spots, it's like, feels like it's never going to change, but it does eventually when you keep going and staying true to the things that can support you the best. So I love, I love that he sent you that message at that time and that time. receiving it, right? Like it's, you might not have been open to receiving it, but you obviously it was all meant to be at that, the way it was. And that was so kind of him to do that. It was, it was, I should have kept in contact with that kid. He was a good dude. I haven't talked to him since I left that company. And that was like two weeks later I left. <laughs> well, and this is like, this is where it comes down to that. Like people cross our path for like seasons, reasons, and lifetimes. I always say that like, it's sometimes the, the most impactful people in your life literally will just come in for a season to teach you something, to show you something to, and then you never see them again. And then they're just gone, but they've made such a huge impact in your life. And then the cool thing is, is that you get to do that as well. And so you actually impact people that you don't know and you haven't met personally who are maybe watching your content and saying like, okay, he's giving me hope and he's giving me hope for my partner, my spouse, myself, my kids. And so keep doing what you're doing because it's, it's resonating with people that who are not even having the courage yet to talk to you, but is resonating with them. I appreciate that. I do. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Mm -hmm.